Hey everyone, and welcome to Between the Creations. My name is Laurian Hook, and each week on the podcast, I and my guest discuss various aspects of theology, Christianity, and the Bible. I'm so glad you've decided to join us. Let's get started. Thanks for joining me this week. It's a huge help when you like, rate, and subscribe to Between the Creations wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also follow the podcast on Instagram or Facebook for news about upcoming episodes. You can find out more about the podcast, submit topics you'd like me to cover on an episode, or even ask me to speak at your event at laurianhook.com. Welcome, everyone, to this week's episode of Between the Creations. I'm so glad that you have decided to join us. I am here with my friend Chris Henderson. Chris was actually on the very first episode of the podcast called, I think it's called Why Easter Really Matters. And if you haven't listened to that episode, definitely go back and check out episode one of Between the Creations. Maybe you're a new listener or you just hadn't made it around to the backlog yet, but go check that out. I've known Chris for several years. We've had a lot of theological and philosophical conversations over the years and done a lot of other random stuff together, random projects and stuff like that. So um, I'm back with Chris, and we're going to talk about the book of Jonah today. We recorded an album together, if I recall. We recorded an album together. <laughs> we've done some big projects, and yeah, it's we've done quite a bit over the years. And uh, But we're going to talk about Jonah, which is, we were just talking about it offline. In the very first episode of the podcast and in the first episode that Chris was on, we Jonah comes up in that episode, and both of us are like, yeah, we should do a an episode talking about Jonah because we both really like it. It's one of it's one of my favorite Old Testament books. If uh, along with Genesis and Exodus, it is it's my my third favorite. And uh, Chris, you you were like, yeah, let's that'd be great. I have a lot of thoughts on Jonah. And then we both sit down to do this today, and we're like, wait a second, why why are we going to talk about <laughs> Jonah? So uh, Jonah is a really interesting book. It's it's a minor prophet. Uh, just a little bit of background info. He's a minor prophet called to go to Nineveh. It's the one where the whole big fish shows up. That's that's Jonah. Um, so, Chris, what do you what in what do you like about Jonah? What why do you if we can even go back to remembering somewhat of why we <laughs> talked about Jonah? What is it about Jonah that you're like, yeah, that's pretty pretty interesting. Um, it's not one thing, it's multiple things. And so I would say that Jonah, so it kind of has two things going for it in my mind that make it what I consider to be one of the best books in all of the Bible, Old or New Testament. Number one, the fact that you have the most disobedient, sarcastic, wretched prophet (laughs) in the history of prophets, who turns out to be the most effective prophet at accomplishing his mission. Like yeah. all of Nineveh turns back to God or turns to God, I guess is kind of how it's phrased, uh-huh. which is just ridiculous because you look at Jeremiah, which is the polar opposite. He is completely faithful, the best of all the prophets in a sense. Uh, yeah, totally unsuccessful. Yeah, And just the fact that you see this dichotomy, it's almost like God is just sitting here going, yeah, you remember that thing about when I said... I'm going to do this in spite of you. Yeah, well, I'm just going to flex right now through Jonah, and I'm going to show you this is this is how it's going to be. Yeah. And Jonah seems to be so sarcastic through the entire thing, like start to finish. Like, yeah, God, I'll go to Nineveh. Cool. Nope. Just kidding. JK, <laughs> JK. Get on a boat. And even, and even the idea of getting thrown into the water, you know, throw me into the water, the water will, will, will stop. I, I don't take that as Jonah sitting there trying to sacrifice himself for the people. Yeah. It's more of one of those like, <laughs> toss me in the water. I'll drown. I'd like to see God send me to Nineveh then. Yeah. Good luck. 
and God still does it. And it's just, it's such an interesting picture of this is how he deals with his disobedient prophet and how he turns this disobedient prophet into the most effective prophet of all time. And it's just, it's just hilarious, crazy, and amazing at the same time. Yeah. But then the second thing is, is because you want to talk about where do you see God in the New Testament and the, oh, the God of the New Testament and the Old Testament, mm-hmm. Jonah, very yeah. clearly. I mean, Hosea, yes, there's a lot of places, sure, but Jonah more than anything. Because here you have the question of what does God do with the people who've never heard of him or the people who have completely rejected him? Like, how, how do you, how, where is God's heart when it comes to evil people of this world? And in Jonah, it says his heart is go and save them. Yeah. Go, go convert them. I mean, I would make the argument that Jonah takes place um, after the fall of Israel, which would be his people. Mm-hmm. And so he is looking at like 25,000 people killed in a day kind of thing. Yeah. And God says, hey, I want you to go save those people who killed all your people. And Jonah is sitting there going, you've got to be kidding me. Yeah. And that is the New Testament heart of God that nobody seems to be able to find in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. Well, it's right there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So Jonah, I mean, for those of you who don't know, Nineveh is a bad, bad, bad place. Like, bad stuff's going down there. It's like ugly and nasty. They're like massacring their enemies in really vile, just horrendously disgusting ways and making a display of it. And it's it's messy and ugly. And so Jonah getting called to go to these people who have, you know, oppressed his own people is is really, I think, part of the reason that Obviously, Jonah has a hard time swallowing this this whole message. But then, even when we read it, no we're pun like, intended, right? <laughs> right? We're kind of like, yeah, exactly. He has a hard time swallowing that. Um, but we, when we read it, we're like, we should tell everyone about Jesus. Like it, you know? Why aren't we doing this? And then we're like, oh, Jonah. Like, like right. yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's so. It can be really convicting in a strange way, where we're like, you know, why aren't we evangelizing more? Why aren't we? telling everyone that we see if you know about about the true king and about about what God is doing in the world and then we read Jonah and we're like oh yeah my the people in my neighborhood aren't necessarily like sacrificing people and murdering them but I'm still a little afraid <laughs> for whatever reason right and i think Jonah maybe gives us a little bit of a insight into the humanity of the prophets uh, whereas, I mean, we see that with Jeremiah, right? We see that right. with, with even, um, with Elijah, he, he's like, God, can you just kill me now? Like <laughs> I'm the only righteous one left. And I God's like, actually lay on my side for 180 days, yeah. burning food on poo. Exactly. Right. <laughs> and, but sometimes I feel like we read the old Testament and the new Testament, but like these, we've built up these characters of the old Testament, the prophets, um, people like Moses, people like David even. And we're like, man, they're just untouchable. And I, I can't, you know, how on earth am I supposed to be like Elijah or like, you know, whatever? And it's like, do you really want to be like that? You're, be like Jesus instead. <laughs> but okay, back back to Jonah specifically. He gets called by God to go and preach this message of repentance to this terrible, terrible group of people. And he's like, nope, I'm I'm good. And you talk about seeing the heart of God uh in this book as, as revealed to us through, through Jesus. Um, and then the new Testament even tells us in Jesus himself, he's like the sign of Jonah. I'm, I'm the new Jonah. I'm the one who actually right. did this right. Uh, what, do you have anything comments on well, that? It's interesting. Idea? Jesus is obviously very familiar with it. I mean, he talks about being buried in the ground for three days or being 
you know, out of commission in a sense for three days, (laughs) to put it mildly. (laughs) And, um, and so he's obviously very familiar with Jonah and it seems like, I mean, okay, so go, go preach the love of God to your enemies. That's such a Jesus thing to say and do, Mm -hmm. like literally such a Jesus thing to say and do. And I think that, you know, going, going from the perspective of where is this God of love in the Old Testament? I mean, it really falls flat when you hit Jonah because the, 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 the Hebrews, the Jews, as they're starting to put their scriptures together, they had every opportunity to dump this book. Yes. And it would make a heck of a lot of sense because it doesn't even end well. Mm-mm. Like nothing about this book goes well. Yeah. It's kind of like Ecclesiastes. Like, why are you <laughs> keeping this in here? This isn't helping anybody if you're trying to make yourselves out to be the people of God who know what you're doing or, or try and portray yourselves well because this this just sucks for, me, for you. Because you're a head prophet here, you know, one of the big big guys here that, that you would look to as, you know, one of the prophets of God, he is just doing everything God says not to do. Yeah. And God is not smiting him dead. Instead, God's just letting him, you know, do his thing. And at every turn, he's just kind of correcting him and kind of chuckling at him and and not letting him drown. And <laughs> we're going to have a fish fall, swallow you and then spit you back up on shore. And I'm going to say again, hey, why don't you go to Nineveh over there? And Jonah's like, fine. Uh, stupid Nineveh. I'll go to Nineveh. <laughs> Preaches maybe the worst sermon ever preached. You're yeah. all going to die. Sucks to be you. Yeah. You know, the equivalent of that, right? And then he has the gall to go outside of the city and be very, very angry when they repent and God turns, you know, turns back to them. And mm-hmm. and, and Jonas and Jonas says, like, I knew you were going to do this. You're God of mercy and compassion. I knew you were going to do this. Yeah. And that's why I'm angry. So angry I want to die. God's like, why would I kill all these people? They don't know anything. Like yeah. their kids, their animals even don't know anything. Why would I be angry with them? Why would I not give them this opportunity? And, and it seems to me that I think that this is kind of the, uh, like Paul gravitates to this really mm-hmm. well too. I think Paul would look at this and say, well, if I'm going to be consistent with the God of the Old Testament as I see him, you really see him in Jonah. So my mission is, is the least among all of the apostles, self-proclaimed, I'm going out to the Gentiles, the yeah. Ninevites, metaphorically, mm-hmm. and I'm just going to go preach to them, and I'm probably going to die trying. Yeah. And so be it. And Jesus, you, you, like you said just a couple minutes ago, Jesus picks up on the Jonah narrative and would have been, of course, very, very familiar um, with, with the prophets and everything. But he picks up on the Jonah narrative, I think, and in a in a somewhat different way, when or a different reading of of like the triumphal entry and all in the in the in the passion narrative, and then this whole him being as you said, out of commission for, for three days. Um, Jesus is is the faithful prophet, right? right? Who, who doesn't try to get around the, the difficult, messy place that he knows ultimately he's called to, right? In several of the gospels and in, in multiple places where, you know, he set his face towards Jerusalem, whereas Jonah turned his face away from Nineveh time after time after time. And so we see Jesus kind of relive and redeem this mm-hmm. Jonah narrative, which Jesus does with, the Moses narrative, he does it with other narratives as well. He does it with Israel's entire story, but even maybe more so specifically with Jonah than I would maybe say than any other prophet, maybe yeah. other well, than other than what Isaiah says. But he's not reenacting what Isaiah says. Well, something interesting to consider would yeah. also be this: Does Jesus see a little bit of Jonah as Israel? Oh, absolutely. So he's not just redeeming Jonah's story; he's saying this is kind of the story of Israel. Yeah. So I'm going to live this. I'm going to become who Israel is supposed to be, and I'm going to go to the nations, and I'm going to do the job. Yeah, in a sense. absolutely. Yeah, I mean, going back to the the Abrahamic covenant in Genesis, I mean, God God says, "Look, I'm I'm picking you out 
not for the exclusion of others, but instead for the blessing of ultimately all peoples. Right. Um, and here's your job. Bless other people. Yeah. You are you are blessed by me. You're in covenant relationship with me so that you can then bless others. Not so that you can exclude others, not so that you can kind of segregate and isolate, but so that you can go out and and be my representatives. I mean, we get this in in the creation narrative too, to be to be representatives of the divine wherever wherever God places us. And Israel fails miserably at this over and over and over again. So much so that they are exiled and that they are you know taken into captivity time and time again. So absolutely I think Jesus looks at the Jonah narrative and he in in his ministry and in his life he's like I'm going to reenact this of certainly on on behalf of Jonah but absolutely like you said on behalf of the entire people of Israel because they have failed to do what I have called them to do which is to I mean, obviously, Old Testament, they're not preaching the gospel of Jesus, but to preach, essentially, to live out the good news that God has blessed them to be with other people, right. even. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it has a, a long history in there, too. I mean, you think about David's ancestors, for crying out loud. It includes Ruth. also includes <laughs> a pagan prostitute yep. named Rahab. Yep. And it's like, and they don't shy away from this. This is no. the kingly line of David. It, it seems to be that... From the very beginning, God seems to be very concerned about the weak, the poor, the the people that just don't know any better, um, because Israel was all of those people, mm-hmm. and they will be, and they have been, and, and, and the people of God, yet we are nothing special. Yeah. There is nothing about us that makes us any any closer to being special than anybody else. Like yeah. We are just average at best, except for when the Holy Spirit gets involved, then all of a sudden you start seeing this consistent playing out of, this is my creation, I'm taking it back, and I'm taking you all along with me whether you like it or not. Yeah. And I see this a lot with Jonah, and, it, and it's really interesting because this is kind of, you know, growing up in the church, I I was also very familiar with the concept of the God of the Old Testament's all about judgment, the God of the New Testament's all about love. Mm-hmm. The Ananias and Sapphira story, yeah, it's easily forgettable because <laughs> that doesn't fit with the Whoops, paradigm. Whoops, he kind of forgot himself there right. for a second. <laughs> But in the Jonah story, you know, you're, you hear about that story when you're a little kid, and it's always great because you, know, you got the whale, and he's smiling, and Jonah's smiling with the whale, <laughs> but he's always riding like on the whale's back, you know. <laughs> and um, but then when you really read the Jonah story, you start realizing like this. This is dark. This is dark. Like yeah. And what's with his prayer in the middle? Is this like oh straight gosh. sarcasm? Yeah. It's like flowery, flowery, over the top. Is he being serious? Exactly. Like, come on. Yeah. Something's not right here. <laughs> and I mean, even the ending, it, he just wants to die. He's so angry he wants to die, and that's the end of the story. And God's like, golly, mm-hmm. I get it, but no, dude, that you've missed it. Yeah. And so and I was telling Chris while we right before we started this, in my, in my undergrad, I did one of my Hebrew papers on a portion of Jonah 2, because there's some, which is the prayer, there is... There's some weird Hebrew stuff happening in, in in those verses, like things that that scholars argue about to this day, and all in in all of them, and even Bible translators, they're kind of like, this is the option we're going to go with for this <laughs> verse because no one really knows what's happening here. So yeah, it's. But what I love, one of the things I love about Jonah, and one of the things that kind of drew me to it initially was was after I, I had done some work in Hebrew. I read Jonah in Hebrew and I translated through it in Hebrew and it is phenomenal. It's phenomenal in English. Um, but it, what really comes out in Hebrew is there is a lot of 
really masterful storytelling and narrative. Mm-hmm. I mean, even if it, even in the first chapter, you you read multiple times that Jonah Jonah goes down. You know, he goes he goes down to to where the ship is going to take him. He goes down into the hole of the ship. He goes down into the belly of the whale, and he's taken down into the depths and down 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 down. And and then the the writer of Jonah uses language really really masterfully. Except maybe in the second chapter where all of us are kind of like, what the heck is going on? <laughs> um, but then even even in chapter three, when he finally gets to, jo- to, to Jonah, to Nineveh, and he's preaching, like you said, it's the worst yeah. sermon ever. Yeah, it's like intentionally yet for- the worst. Yes, it's like yet 40 days and Nineveh will be destroyed, repent. And then he hightails it out of there. Yeah. And, and what I one of the greatest pieces of irony about Jonah is that he... He's like peacing out because he's like, I ain't sure these people are going to listen. And I'm thinking God might might do something if they don't. So I'm going to get out of here. And then he goes up like on a hill kind of outside of the city and he just waits <laughs> like for their destruction. Right. And he's like just counting down the hours. Got and then the of course- popcorn out. He's ready to go. Exactly. Right. <laughs> and just, and we read that and we're kind of like, well, that's a little shocking. Like that sounds, that's a little harsh. But I wonder in our own lives, and I think I think we do this without realizing it. We, especially towards people that are are different, or people that we would consider maybe even um, you know an enemy, if we want to be so strong as to use that language, which we should. We should be honest with ourselves. Um, I think we do that sometimes, and we we sit back and we wait for destruction or we wait for chaos to kind of get unleashed rather than running right into it and and bringing order to that which is which is what god does continually is run into the mess and bring order out of chaos no i completely agree it's it's one of those things where i think that the story of jonah sometimes gets lost because a lot of people don't understand the history surrounding it yeah it's no it's no accident that nineveh was chosen it's no accident that Jonah is going the opposite direction. See, if it was just like Jonah's not scared, a lot of people, you know, throughout the years have said, "Oh, well, maybe he was just scared to go." And this, fear has nothing to do with this. He wants to die. He's not scared to be thrown in the ocean. Like yeah. this is ultimately kind of where he wants to be. Can God actually get to him when he gets into the depths of the chaos? You mm-hmm. know, the one place the gods can't reach. That's the kind of thought process. And then God, you know, pulls the ultimate flex card and sends a chaos monster after him and exactly, picks him up right. and spits him back. And it's like, okay, so I'm not getting away. Thanks. Great. It's very clear he doesn't want to do enemy love. Yeah. Which none of us do. Like if 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 a country comes in and takes over America and wipes out your family and you were there to watch it. And it's just like taking over the country and enslave the entire population. And then God says, hey, I want you to go to, let's say it was uh, the first capital I could think of was Beijing, right? Mm-hmm. So they, what we're talking about in America today is, oh, the rise of China. Is it going to be another Cold War with China? Well, imagine if China in 30 years comes in, mm-hmm. wipes out Texas, takes over. America can't do anything about it. They own Houston. They own wherever you, know, wherever you live. They've killed your family. And you're now stuck in the Gulf of Mexico or, or wherever mm-hmm. saying, what do I do? And God says, I want you to go to Beijing right now, and I want you to go get them to repent and to follow me. Well, no. I'd rather go to Antarctica, thank you. Yeah. And I'd rather freeze to death. That's what I'd prefer to do. Mm-hmm. And that's, that really is Jonah's mindset, it seems. And when you get into that, it starts sounding very similar, like eerily close to do not hate your enemies, but love your enemies. Mm-hmm. Pray for those who persecute you, that kind of thing. Like, and, and I think you say, you know, can we use the enemy word? I think you have to. Yeah. There is no understanding of Jonah if you do not use the enemy word in its fullest context. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. You're very, very good point. Every time, I think almost every time I've heard Jonah preached or when I've heard someone talk about Jonah, they bring up this idea or that they come at it from the angle of, well, Jonah was afraid to go to Nineveh because they had, they were violent people. And I think you're right. I don't, I don't think that's the case because n- not only when he asks to them to throw him in the sea, but also at the end, like he asks to die multiple times. Right. So death is not necessarily what he's afraid of. Uh, I, what he's afraid of is God loving those who he hates. And there's, I can't remember who says it, but you know, it's this, this quote or this idea of, you know, if, if God's, if, if God, if your version of God hates everyone that you hate, it's probably not God. (laughs) (laughs) You've just created God in your own image. Um, And I think that we deceive ourselves so often when we, when we say things like, well, I don't really have any, I love everyone. I don't really have enemies. I'm like. You haven't lived long enough. Right. Right. (laughs) And I think I'm like, yes, we, we all do. Like we all have people like in, in here's, here's what, even in ministry, what I use to kind of illustrate this is I, I tell people all the time. I'm like, look, if you, if you don't think that you have enemies, if you think I just, I just have the love of Jesus and I just love everyone. I'm like, I want you to think of being at the table of, of communion, being at the Eucharist, being, being at the Lord's table and either being served by someone or having to serve someone that you just don't really care for or that you, anytime you hear their name or see their picture, it could be someone you know or someone you don't know, think that, that you would not want them to be at that table. Those are your enemies. Pray for them. Pursue them if you're able. Tell them about Jesus, Jesus if they don't know about Jesus. Um, but that's, that's my litmus test usually is, is who do I not want at the table when I walk up there. <laughs> yeah, well, for me, it's it's really fun because whenever you start talking about, well, I don't really have any enemies, I say, oh, what what party do you affiliate with, Republican or Democrat? Yeah. Oh, well, I'm totally in favor. Oh, okay, cool. Well, let's say, and I list somebody exactly. on the opposite, like, you know, Firebrand on the opposite side. Let's say that, they, oh, no, no, that's that. Okay, we just found your enemy. <laughs> there Got you it. go. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> we have a winner. <laughs> yeah, and, and to go back to this idea of Jesus kind of reframing and redeeming this, this narrative. Um, I mean, even Sermon on the Mount, over and over and over again, Jesus is making this point. Jesus is bringing up this idea of enemy love, self-sacrifice. What you think is success is actually not success. Um, and for Jonah, I think success on his, in his mind is God wipes out my enemies. God destroys Nineveh, the nation that has persecuted my people, that has wiped out our our ancestors or whatever. Uh, and I think a lot of times, even in our own lives, we're like, success is is for God to punish those who I dislike or who I think have wronged me or who I think have committed some grave sin in the world. And, and I need God to punish them to make this all worth it. And it, and we've, I think we've all been tempted by this mindset. And Jonah is like this, just like siren screaming at us. Like, this is not the way of God. This is not the way of God. Um, oh, it's really interesting, kind of going full circle here. We're talking about why in the world was this even put in the canon, right? I mean, obviously, Old Testament canon officially recognized 90 AD Council of Jamnia, et cetera. Yep. So that's post-destruction of Jerusalem. But Jonah was already seen in scripture before that. Mm-hmm. So it's not, that was more like the stamp of approval, you know, as we were in diaspora kind of thing. Yeah. But they're already seeing it in scripture before that. Did nobody else other than Jesus see the <laughs> dichotomy of Jonah is showing you how to hate your enemies, 
And understandably, the psychology makes sense. I'm not sure. blaming Jonah. I'd probably be like Jonah, to be perfectly honest mm-hmm. with you. And Jesus seems to be the only one that's actually reading Jonah in the way that Jonah is written and to be understood. It's yeah. like, did you people who are trying to kick Rome out of Jerusalem, who are starting war after war, I mean, like every, what, five to ten years, you oh, have yeah. a Messiah who rises up at the behest of the um, the religious leaders of the day, not usually the Sadducees, but usually the Pharisees. Yep. And they're like rising up Messiah, and it's time to fight Rome. It's time to kick him out and for like a hundred years, right? Yep. I mean, the, the the scene is littered with people who have risen up against Rome and tried to kick him out of Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. And they finally did it, and then they got crushed, and everything got destroyed in 70 AD. Yep. And again, later, but that's a different story. But <laughs> but it's it's hilarious because it's like they're embodying the very antithesis of what Jonah is teaching. Yep. Why is Jonah seen as scripture if they're doing the exact opposite, and Jesus seems to be the only one of these messiahs in this long line that says, hey, guys, I think you might have gotten it wrong. Yeah. Maybe we should read Jonah just a little bit carefully here. (laughs) Hey, remember that book? (laughs) And so it's just, it it, it makes no sense why the Jews in that particular time period would have seen it like that. Yeah. And, And it... And it's just, it's just, it goes back to the brilliance of Jesus, as far as I can tell, because I mean, he really ties it together. Like you look at Hosea, you look at Jonah, mm-hmm. you look at Isaiah, specifically fifty three, you yep. know, the standard tried and true. And he really just, it's almost like all he does is goes back and says, "Hey, we may have gotten a little complicated in this. Let's just do a simple reading. Yeah, it seems very straightforward. Yeah, in the same way that it's, it's like I've often, you know, said to you and everybody else, like my master's program in theology was boiling down to, yeah, Jesus kind of meant what he said. Yeah. That's about it. Yeah. Uh, you know, thousands of dollars worth of work and papers <laughs> and everything else. And it really just means that. Yep. You can't get around it. Yeah. I I love, so I, of course, love deep biblical studies and theological reflection, but sometimes a plain reading is is the best reading. Sometimes, sometimes it's all you really need. And if we would just kind of stop trying to impress ourselves with making these, you know, weird connections or these deep readings of whatever, which by all means... Do your Hebrew and Greek. I do it all the time. Like it's helpful. It's it's given me a depth of of understanding the scriptures and of um and of all that. But sometimes it's like, and and one of the things that I try to point out to people a lot of times is what did what does Jesus do with this story? Not all of the Old Testament is brought up by Jesus or brought up in the in the entire New Testament even. But there are definitely some major things that Jesus picks up on and that the gospel writers pick up on. I mean, Paul, even Peter, they pick up on these Old Testament stories and narratives and reframe them and retell them, usually quite simply, in light of Jesus. And Jesus does this himself when when he reads the scroll of Isaiah, when he when he's talking about um you have you have him reenacting the story of Jonah and other things. It's it is this reframing around Jesus of the entire story of the scriptures that we see over and over and over again. And so I, I often encourage people, I'm like, well, how did Jesus read this? Mm-hmm. If, if, if it's there or how did Jesus, what did Jesus say about the law? What did Jesus say about? Um, no, I, I completely agree with you. It, it's, it's interesting. And even going further on that road, like we talk about reframing it in light of Jesus, because you're right. Mm-hmm. But it seems like Jesus wasn't necessarily all, always reframing it in light of him. It was just, hey, guys, yeah. <laughs> I can't be the only one noticing that we've completely misunderstood this. Like, yeah. You're making it too complicated, and you're using it to suit your needs. Yeah. Something we're very adept at, mind you. Oh, for sure. But but it's 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 almost like just getting back to what did the authors actually mean in this? Because mm-hmm. it seems that it was very clear. I mean, and, and I think that when we talk about doing 
doing study in Scripture, I, I agree with you. Like, like the plain meaning is usually the best. The problem that we run into, the legitimate problem mm-hmm. that we run into, we are not privy to that plain meaning as, yeah. as much as we used to be. For sure. As time has moved on, I mean, 2,000 years worth of history, it really confuses things. So, yeah. uh, so like, for instance... Uh, you, you, you talked about Sermon on the Mount. Well, mm-hmm. the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, this is just off the top of my head. Sure, go for it. Um, after he gives the Beatitudes. So mm-hmm. he's describing things that we often will say, oh, that's the attitudes you should have. And it's like, no, 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 no. no, no. That's <laughs> no, no. Di- it's diagnostic. <laughs> yeah. It's not you should be. Mm-hmm. It's like poorly named. Don't call them Beatitudes. Yeah. This is diagnostic. All you people who live suck, guess what? I'm here for you. Yeah. But then it moves very quickly into, you know, talking about you are the salt of the earth. Well, he's talking to the people who were the nobodies. Mm-hmm. Everyone that you would expect would be the wrong people to inherit the kingdom. Over to the side, probably to his right, I envision it, mm-hmm. would be the Pharisees sitting over there going, what is this guy talking about? <laughs> but see, the phrase that he used, you are the salt of the earth, that's not a phrase that's used very often. And it is used in specific instances. Mm-hmm. Um, the primary use in which we know it's used would be salting the earth. Yep. You are the salt of the earth. Or salting the earth would be to, it's what the Romans would do it a it's lot. Not a, it's not a good thing. <laughs> well, yeah. If you dump mounds of salt on the, uh, a little bit of salt actually helps. Mm-hmm. But a little too much, and suddenly nothing grows. It was like the original chemical and biological warfare. That's like, exactly go right. dump a bunch of salt on your enemy's crops. Their crops will die. You will win because they will starve to death. Right now, yeah. granted, who has that amount of salt? For sure, not a lot of people. <laughs> I mean, so you more... got the you got the Dead Sea right there. So <laughs> true. But how many truckloads? Right. <laughs> and it's like it's not easy. It's not a it's not a tactic that's easy to do because all like, yeah. But 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 it's a ceremonial conceptually. Thing that they would yeah. Do. So the Romans would do that. They would say we like just lay waste to their entire city, mm-hmm. and then we ceremonially toss salt onto the ground and say your earth has been salted. Yeah. It will never grow again, and that's salting the earth. So if he's looking at all the wrong people, who the Pharisees are trying to you know herd like children to bring the kingdom of God. I mean, I think the Pharisees in their minds are, are on the right side of things. They're trying mm-hmm. to get all the people to follow God, so maybe the Messiah will come. Yeah. So it's not like their intentions are always bad. Oh, no, they're always there. There are bad intentions sure. because you're dealing with power, and power always corrupts. But yeah. nonetheless, it's like Jesus is looking at the Pharisees and he's talking to the people who the Pharisees disapprove of and saying, "Hey, by the way, you people, you're the salt of the earth." And that, if that's not supposed to be one of those like, oh, this is so wonderful, we feel so good about ourselves. Yeah. If this is like a call to arms, like you're going to lay waste to the kingdom of this world, mm-hmm. whose kingdom are we talking about? Yeah, He's talking to the Pharisees. That's an offense that gets Pharisees to want to kill you. Yep. That's how you end up with a Messiah figure on a cross mm-hmm. in not a very short amount of and time. And then out of commission. <laughs> exactly, for three days. <laughs> for three days. But, but it's, it's interesting to me because it's like, that I mean, and again, that's not the only reading of it. I mean, sure, there, yeah, there yeah, is yeah. an element of salt that is a a good thing. Yeah, but the salting earth phrasing is very specific, mm-hmm. and and it's not a matter of oh, we have to get deep and theological. No, no, no. It's just trying to peel back the layers, layers and figure out how did they talk in that time period. Yeah. Yeah. I, I read a fantastic tweet a few days ago. I cannot remember who it was. Otherwise, I would say their name, but I'm, I apologize if you hear this. I don't know if you will. Um, but they were talking about how we do a disservice to the Old Testament and to the history, to the historical context of the scriptures. When we say things like Jesus was, was such a radical like he was, you know, doing all these things. Now, in some ways, yeah, he like, especially maybe in his treatment towards women, that that was that was different. But specifically in his like theology and his interpretation of things, you know, like taking care of the poor and enemy love. And we're like, and, and they're like, we do a disservice to the Old Testament yeah. when we say 
Jesus was so radical and he did all these, he just turned things upside down and he inaugurated this upside down kingdom. And it's like, yeah, he, he enfleshed and, and inaugurated a kingdom by coming down, but he inaugurated a kingdom that had already been announced with the exact same message in the Old Testament, i.e. Jonah and Abrahamic covenant and such. And I thought that was such a good point that, because I've heard so many people, you know, let's talk about Jesus's politics and how it's just really different and how God is so gracious and, you know, we should have enemy love. And I'm like, you, I'm like, you mean like the Old Testament? Right, <laughs> like, right. So stop saying that Jesus was this radical, you know, when it came to, to things like enemy love or things like how he handled the law even is... is Could it be that he just took the law seriously? Yeah. Could it be that he just read it and said, guys, I think this is pretty straightforward mm-hmm. and I think you're overcomplicating it because you think it has to be watered down or it has to be modified so that the powerful can retain power. Yeah. And what, here's another thing that's really interesting too. If you're talking about running a society, every empire at some point comes to grips with the fact that the wealth gap or massive inequality or no one trusts the judicial system, all of these types of things – they don't work in the long run. Mm. It ends badly for every nation. It always comes down. I would kind of make the argument that what the what the Old Testament and Jesus is continuing is not really bad advice for nations. Yeah. You know what I mean? Now, I think we take it out of context when it's a type of an enforced thing. So this would be the whole communism debate, you know. Sure. Okay. I don't want to get into that, but I'm just talking about just in general. Take care of your people. Mm-hmm. Take care of the orphans, the widows. Make sure justice is carried out. Just be, just be cool. All right. Yeah. Like be normal. Yeah. Don't, don't, don't... take your neighbor's cow. Like, yeah. You know? Let's chill on that. All right. <laughs> like if there's way too much debt build up, let's try and solve this. Yeah. You know, like how is that bad advice? This should be stuff that revolutionizes everyone's mind. You mm-hmm. should say. Whether I believe in Jesus or not is irrelevant. The fact is he had some really good advice for from top to bottom. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it's not and again, just to go back to this idea, like if you if you're listening to this and you're I in ministry and just in, in life, I come I talk with a lot of people who don't really like the Old Testament. And they, they're like, I just I don't I don't really read it that often and I really would much rather us not preach sermons from it super often and if we're going to do anything, maybe have it be from Genesis, but the rest of it, no, not really, unless it's like my favorite Psalm or something, but the rest of it, it's kind of outdated and old and I don't really understand it. And I just really, really prefer Jesus. And it's <laughs> like, great. The Old Testament is for you too. Yeah. Like, he's all over there, like all over the place in the Old Testament. And what, like I said, it's the kingdom gets inaugurated. I mean, his, his first words in, in the in uh, the Gospel of Mark, he goes, you know, repent for the kingdom of, of God is at hand. It's here. It's right now. It's me. It's present. I'm I'm beginning it. Um, but it's not it's not like God suddenly pulled a 180 and was like, oh, this is how I'm going to do business now. Like, re- if you read the law, if you read Leviticus, if you read parts of Deuteronomy, God is very concerned with with all people, but specifically with how people interact with each other and very, very concerned with the idea of something like what we've, we've titled enemy love. God's very concerned with the other nations even. Um, and I, we don't have time to get into, to, well, again, whose Messiah actually actively states, oh yeah, by the way, we have a prostitute who's from a pagan nation that we invaded. Yeah. She's totally in that list. Yeah. Um, she's, you know, she's, she's good to go. And yeah. oh yeah, somebody else from another country that, you know, came in probably illegally 
she's part of the whole genealogy of our king right. too. Like, right? Who does that? Yeah. Well, apparently Israel, because God is very clear. I mean, you're a jubilee. You have um, the the women are taking care. Like even down to the point of if you're sorry, not to get into the whole Levitical thing, but like Go it's, for just, it. it's fascinating to me. Because, I love the Old Testament. It's my, well, it's my jam. Well, like even down to the fact that if I have a brother, if I'm in the Old Testament, I'm living that time period. I have a brother. He has a wife. Mm-hmm. I have a wife. I have kids. He never gives her a kid. Yep. He dies. Well, I am required by law to marry my brother, my dead brother's wife, mm-hmm. and make sure that she bears child yep. who will inherit the estate that will take care of her. And my reputation, my honor, everything is on the line of how well I ensure that my brother's estate and name and land and wife is taken care of. Yep. That's amazing. That is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And again, we re- I talk with so many people who read the New Testament and are like, Jesus was so radical. I'm like, the Old Testament was so radical. <laughs> like that is... That's bizarre. And, and of course, like people are like, well, polygamy and all this stuff. I'm like, okay, calm down. Calm down, everyone. But other nations practiced polygamy. Other nations practiced things like this. But it was, it, it was not for the sake of another's name, really. It was not for the sake. I'm sure there's probably one or two who had some similar laws. Well, there's definitely crossover, like the but, Babylonian Talmud. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. Exactly. And, I mean, you have, you have crossover from ancient Near Eastern contexts. But the fact that God is like, hey— this is for the sake of your brother's wife. This isn't for for you necessarily. This isn't even so that you can inherit your brother's estate. This is so that his name can be honored um, because he's a fellow image bearer and because he's he's part of of the the people of God. Um, and it's just it's all woven throughout the entire scriptures, the entire scripture narrative. Um, this idea of God caring for those and for situations that we would kind of rather just let be and not really get our hands dirty, which is the, the entire narrative of Jonah is, is God saying, yeah, I want you to get your hands a little dirty. I want you to go where you don't want to go. Much like God says to Peter, when Jesus says to Peter at the, at the end of his ministry, he's like, you're going to go where you don't want to go and you're going to be led where you don't want to be led. Um, and it's not always going to be really pretty and great. Um, but you're going to go and you're going to bear my name for the sake of blessing all peoples. And Peter, of course, has a little bit of an issue trying. He, he's a little slow on the uptake with the whole Gentile thing, right? Um, not unlike Jonah in some ways, I, I think. But uh, yeah, Jonah Jonah is not on board with, with God. So I think Peter moves out of fear. Yes. Whereas Jonah just moves out of disgust and hate. Yeah. Which, again, and I understand motivations of both. I mean, Peter's just as, like, he's like, man, am I, oh, gosh, well, my goodness, what, am I really doing this? Like, what yeah. Do I do? Like, there's a lot of anxiety, I think, yeah. with Peter, with Peter's personality that comes out even in the gospel narratives. I mean, he's the one who's, who's just, he's kind of, he, he seems a little nervous and kind of cagey and jumpy to me sometimes. Um, but then you read First and Second Peter, and it's like, whoa, okay, okay, I, I see you. But uh, yeah, he, he, he rounds into form. Yes, he, as he, as hopefully and prayerfully we all it, do, yeah. right? But I mean, it takes it takes like a vision of a sheet getting lowered down a few times for him to be like, oh, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and Jonah, and then Jonah gets swallowed by a whale and still is like, uh, uh-uh, uh, I'm not, I'm not here for this. I'm not here for this mess. Um, well, it's like Jonah knows the whole time. I know what's happening. Yeah. I know what you're doing. You know what I'm doing. I know you know what I'm doing. <laughs> And I don't care. Yeah. Which is... <laughs> which is not unlike our own lives sometimes. Well, it's interesting because it, it really begs a question here. 
Who knew the mind of God more, Peter in the early part of his ministry and early part of his life mm-hmm. or Jonah? Yeah. D- does this mean that Jonah knew the heart of God, knew the work and actions of God far more than most others all throughout Scripture? Because he knew what was going to happen. He yeah. knew where God was, and he just had a, a tantrum. Mm-hmm. Again, I'm not blaming the dude. I would probably be doing the exact same sure. thing. But it's still, a tra- it's still a tantrum. Yeah. Because he knows what's right. He knows what God's going to do. And he knows what's going to happen. Yeah. And he resists it the entire way because he knows the heart of God mm-hmm. is for radical forgiveness. Yeah. And we, I think one of the reasons, maybe get a little pastoral here, I don't know. One of the reasons that we have a hard time believing that that is God's heart towards our enemies and towards others is that I think sometimes we don't believe that that's God's heart towards us to, to really and truly accept the love of God in our lives. I think is, is hard for some people. I think it's hard in different seasons of our lives um, to really believe that we are beloved by the all powerful creator sustainer of the universe and I think, I, and I mean, personally, but also just talking with people um, and doing life alongside people, I, I've had seasons in my life where I have a hard time really, really internalizing that. Um, and this comes out in my lack of genuineness in prayer and my lack of willingness to approach God um, in my own life. But also I, see, I talk with people often who have a hard time really believing that they are loved by God. Um, and so if, if we can't get past that, then I think we have a hard time sometimes with things like enemy love, because if, if we really in the marrow of our bones don't believe that we are beloved by the father, um, then we're like, well, then my enemies definitely aren't. <laughs> like they definitely aren't. Um, it's like Jonah is the older brother and the, um, uh, the prodigal son, prodigal son. Yeah. 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 And you know, what's interesting is you're talking about what what you've experienced and what a lot of Christians. I, I echo that. I mean, I, I think most mm-hmm. Christians have experienced that. I grew up in the church. Yeah, I grew up like compl- just. I that's never been a question for me. It's been so drilled into my head in Protestant Christianity that that's never been my issue. Mm-hmm. My issue is always centered around. Okay, if I take this leap, how do I know this is actually actually going to be true? Yeah, and then I figure out. Okay, well, I, I can trust God. He'll, he'll, he won't let me fail. Uh-huh. And then I realized, wait a minute. He let a ton of people fail for crying out right? loud. Like, <laughs> Jeremiah goes down in flames, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. But he's like, what the heck? Like, what? like, so is this a scenario where I take a leap and I do what he says and he just lets me fall off the cliff and says, I'm sorry, this, this is what needs to happen right now yeah. for my will to be carried out. It just sucks that you have to take the fall for it, but yeah. you will be like... This is part of my will. I mean, look at Jesus, right? You just have to trust. Like, (laughs) Like, look, look at what happened to Jesus. Right, right. Yeah, just follow God's will and do do that, and it'll be great. And you're like, but wait. (laughs) Right. I know He loves me, and unfortunately, a lot of people He loves, just bad stuff happens to them. Yeah, it does not end well (laughs) for a good amount of them. And how do we reconcile that, right? And of course, I think there are ways to reconcile that. Um, Trusting that this this God that we as Christians claim to know and love and serve and be loved by. Um, has endured, I mean, Hebrews talks about this over and over again, has endured humanity and has endured being human and suffering and pain and death and loss and going down to the very depths of of all of that. Um, and this idea of, of God understanding suffering because God himself has suffered. Um, 
in in various ways and in all ways so that we can trust that in our suffering and that in our I think even in our doubt and even in our whatever season of life we're in at the moment trusting that Jesus knows what that is like in some capacity um because he's he was but, human but even understanding that Jesus knows what it's like so I, as a dad mm-hmm. one of the things that I have to think through is I, I know a lot about church history I know a lot about history in general yeah. and I've seen Christians just get messed up mm-hmm. a lot through history. It's just a reality of the situation, starting from the very beginning all the way till now. Yep. So if I make a decision to walk out in faith and follow God, it could end up with me no longer being here, mm-hmm. not providing for my kids. And that has a cascade effect. So if I can't provide for my kids, they don't have a home. They got to go live with someone else or yep. whatever happens, right? And many of those kids could grow up to resent me, grew up to resent God, could be atheist, could be non-Christian of whatever type. And it can have a ripple effect that's very, very bad. Mm-hmm. And that could be a part of God's will. Yeah. Am I going to accept that? And I mean, that, that's, really, that's really what gives me pause and a lot of other people pause because I know he has a history of miraculously saving people and, you know, like not. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's gone both ways and you don't know which one you're a part of. Yep. Do you submit? Yeah. And, and, at the, and, and the only thing that can justify God in this, it seems by God's own standard would be, is the resurrection true? Is mm-hmm. the resurrection of the dead where we all are raised when Messiah returns? Mm-hmm. If all things are made new, then all of this is temporary. Yeah. If I trust that that's the end game, okay, all right, I, I, I get it. But if, if I'm going to follow Ecclesiastes and say, <laughs> you know, you just get the life and that's it. And when you die, you're dust in the wind and that's mm-hmm. the end of the story. Well, that's a much different prospect. Yeah. You see, you know what I'm talking about? Absolutely, like, yeah. But that's, man, it's 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 tough because like this this Christianity thing is no joke. It's mm-hmm. like, I'm a Christian. Okay, well, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think that we talk enough about, especially in the West, <laughs> um, I don't think we talk enough about the excruciating difficulties that Christianity can hold. Um, none of us, I mean, that's a, that's a broad statement. Many of us, most of us, um, have not, and and will and will not more than likely um, experience levels of agony and levels of just shouting at the top of our lungs, like, "Is this really? Is this really what it is?" Um, and I think Jonah experienced some of that, where he's like, "Yeah, I know what this is." but maybe it'll be different. And then of course it's not. And of course Jesus experiences this when Jesus is like, is this, is this really the plan? <laughs> yeah. I mean, in the garden, in garden of Gethsemane, he's like, wait a second. Well, Jesus has a pause. What a human thing to do. Right. Jesus takes pause and, and it's like, wait a second, hold on, hold on, hold on everyone. And has this moment of, of realizing the gravity of what it means to follow God into death itself. Um, and everybody's asleep. And he's like, oh, and everybody's asleep. <laughs> Fine, let's do this. Yeah, he's like, I can't, I can't even with these people anymore. <laughs> Just get me out of here. Um, That's so true, though. I mean, it's yeah, it, it, it's and everybody has to face this mm-hmm. at some point. It's like this is the most healthy thing in the world for a Christian to do mm-hmm. is to realize that this could very much go sideways for you. Yeah, do you still trust? Will you still obey? Yeah, because many will not, and yep. I can't blame them for that. I can't like when you finally come face to face with. This, this doesn't end well, right now. Mm-hmm. 
Do I trust that it will ultimately? Yeah. And I'm willing to submit to that. That's really where, where everything starts to center. It's like, do you trust your king or do mm-hmm. you not? Yeah. I mean, because we're going to find out at some point. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I think we see this play out even in the life of Jesus. I know we've, we've talked about that multiple times, obviously. Um, but this idea of trusting that God will vindicate. In the end, trusting that God will... And Jesus is obviously vindicated at his resurrection. Um, And then I would say he's vindicated again when the temple falls in 70 AD, and he will be vindicated again when he returns. But I think that we trust and hope that God will vindicate God's people Mm -hmm. um, for God's name and for God's mission. Uh, But God will vindicate God's people through the resurrection and through the new creation. Um, So if we find ourselves... (laughs) Wondering if this is worth it. Wondering if if this I, this whole enemy love and and potentially just falling flat on our faces. Jonah doesn't fall flat on his face necessarily if if you look at it by his success rate of of what he does, but he falls flat on his face with his refusal to to really get on board in you know spirit with what God is doing. Well, I think he's actively trying to. I think he's, he's like, actively I just trying can't to get kill there. himself. Yeah. He's <laughs> like, I cannot get there. Um, but yeah, so do, this idea of trusting in God's vindication of God's people, um, because that's what God is in the business of doing, is is healing and restoring and making things new um, and bringing order out of the chaos, um, which is so often where we find ourselves, much like Jonah did, as he goes down, down, down into this chaotic place. Um, and ultimately, it's 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 almost like you have an ace up your sleeve to a certain degree. Because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, let's just do the smell test. Yep. Would you like to live a life where you took and people hated you and they resented you? Or you were just unknown, you're forgotten? Or would you like to be known as this person loved everybody and everybody loved this person and they made the world a better place? And look at the cascade of things that happened as a result of this person's care about other people. Yeah. I mean, even if the Christianity thing wasn't true. Which legacy do you want? Mm-hmm. Just as a human being that doesn't live in psychosis, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, it's not a psychopath. <laughs> as, a, as a human being, which one would you prefer? Like, this is the better story. The end, hard stop. Mm-hmm. Well, how much cooler since it's real? Yeah. It's hard. It's the hardest thing you'll ever do. But it's the only life worth living, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, Absolutely. I think that's a good place to to wrap up. Just some things to to ponder and think about. Thanks, Chris, for for having this conversation. Oh, thanks and, for having me back. Yeah, being being on the podcast again. For all of you who are listening, thanks so much. Make sure that you have rated, reviewed, subscribed to the podcast. All of those fun things. And if you have a topic or maybe a person that you want me to interview or something you want me to talk about, there is a place to do that on my website. Or you can also just shoot me a DM. Uh, at the Between the Creations account on Twitter. You can also follow us on Instagram and Facebook. So until next week, thank you guys for listening, and I'll be back later.